Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. This evening, it's my great pleasure to have my friend Alistair Graham on the podcast to chat about all things raster and stuff like that. Alistair is an Earth Observation Specialist. For the last seven or eight years, he's been working for himself. And prior to that, he worked in an SME and a large corporate, as well as doing a couple of postdoctorate positions in Salford and Oxford. The key thread between his interest in remote sensing and Earth observation is that it's a bit of a passion for him. Alistair and I have known each other for a few years now because he's been a member of OSGO UK's organising committee and we've organised, I think, a couple of events together in different ways. So it's a great pleasure to have you here, Alistair. Welcome. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, it's great to be on the podcast as well. Good, good. So let's start by telling our listeners, because they probably don't know you, tell us a bit about what you do. Okay. Yeah. So as you said, I'm an Earth Observation Specialist, and I work for myself through a company I created called Jogger. And I suppose when I first started this back in 2013, it was very much a an Earth Observation type of company, but I wanted to make sure that it was one where I was using open source software and open data as much as possible. And I think really the things have changed a little bit in that now I'm sort of, I've had discussions with people about whether I'm a geographer or a computer science type of person or, or what I am and sort of coming out along the lines of I'm an earth data scientist. So I guess really what I try to do through Jogger is help people answer environmental questions. And more often than not, because of my background, that will involve Earth observation data and imagery. But um, yeah, anything, like you said, anything that's raster, I really enjoy playing around with that. So other than that, like you've also said, I'm on the OSGO UK organizing committee, and I'm also currently the chair of the British Association for Remote Sensing Companies. So that's BASC. And in my spare time, I create and host the Scene From Above podcast with my co-host on that, Andrew Cutts. Uh, So yeah, when I say it like that, it seems like there's quite a lot of stuff. Yeah. And just for the benefit of our listeners, I have to say that jogger does not mean jogger as in somebody who runs along at a steady pace. (laughs) It means over to you. Yeah, so so th- this is a, an example of me being way too clever for my own good. So Jogger is spelled G-E-O-G-E-R. And the idea was that it was going to be geographic, so jog as in geography, geographic environmental research. That's the E and the R, so Jogger. But uh, I also really enjoy running, so it was sort of a pun sort of jogger, jogging, like you said. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many people sort of look at it and go... Uh, Geo, geo, and it's uh, so it definitely creates a a talking point now when I meet people, and that's good, and that's good, and I've known you for several (laughs) years now, and only just learned to pronounce it jogger. So there you go. Um, And in fact, you've made me think that there's a podcast episode that Ed and I could do, which is just about the stories behind the names that people give their companies. Oh, that would be brilliant. That would you know, be brilliant. Because I know the story behind why 
his company, Open Cage, is called Open Cage, but nobody else does. There's a story behind behind almost every name. There's a story, and they're an amusing series yeah. of stories. So I think that's a podcast podcast episode that you can claim to have seeded. So <laughs> back to your passion for Earth observation and raster geography. What triggered that? So some people who know me will have heard this story, and, and apologies for repeating it, but it was the storm of 87 in the UK. For those people who are either too young to know what that was, or have forgotten what it was, it's a really large winter storm, winter depression, which hit the UK. I think it was the remnants of a hurricane, and some of those really strong winds caused a whole lot of damage in the UK, particularly in the south of England and across southern Wales, which is where I lived at the time. And I had an amazing secondary school geography teacher called Alan Carter, and he was really into what was then a very young sort of subject, which was remote sensing and earth observation, particularly in schools. I mean, it was very rare that you would ever have got anything into a school, but he managed to get a download dish, which was on the top of our school, and <laughs> a green screened computer. I mean... I dread to think how much power or lack of power it had. And every half hour, it would create an image, and I mean create an image, of the North Atlantic. And it, you could see it line by line, it would come in. So by the time you got to down to 30 minutes, you would basically have three minutes in which to print it off onto paper. Otherwise, it would then go back to the top and start downloading the next line. <laughs> so, so we're talking real old school here. but. I was able to watch, sit in geography room and watch this storm approaching across the Atlantic and come and, you know, and then by the time I got home, I knew what was coming. I could see, I could relate what was happening outside to what I'd seen on the screen. And I, I don't know what it is, but something just absolutely clicked in my head. And from that point on, it was like, I have to be involved in this. This is absolutely amazing. This whole visual science, really. What a great story. I remember that storm. That's when we <laughs> lost one of the Seven Oaks, isn't it? That is, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. We lost one of the Seven Oaks and uh, we lost my garden fence as well, but that's probably less, <laughs> less significant. <laughs> and the open side? Yeah, so the open side, there's a story behind that as well. I was doing a postdoc down here in Oxford and as part of, we had to work on a project. Uh, it was a European project where we had to do some training. And I'd gone off, I think it was to Belgium with some people from Oxford, and we were providing some GIS training. And I, th and I can't, I think it was Map Info maybe that uh, we were using for the training. And everybody was sat in this room all getting on with doing, following the instructions in Map Info. And there was this one guy who didn't have Map Info and he, he definitely wasn't going to load it up. And it was Marcus Nettler from sort of people might know him from uh, the Grass GIS community. But, he, you know, he's a massive person in terms of uh, FOSS and open source uh, geospatial software. And, yeah, it was the first time I, he was explaining to me how he was going through the steps of this uh, workshop, but using Grass rather than using uh, proprietary software. And I was a total eye-opener again for me. I mean, I hadn't heard of this thing called open source, no idea about Linux or open anything at that point. And just, I, just, I basically just stood behind him for the majority of the workshop and just watched him work his way through all of the points that he had to do using something that was open um, and being able to do that. And it was 
it was really cool actually being able to have that level of close interaction and almost be shown that you can do exactly what you can do in proprietary software but using open software as well and then from there it spawned me finding out a lot more about open and, and stuff like that and as you said that i was remembering the first time i had a conversation with people about open source and just not getting how this could work and how it could be sustainable and everything. And um, then some people opening my eyes to it, much the same way that you just described. And, you know, it's like a hallelujah moment. So, yeah, I, I can empathize with that. So jumping from your early start to what's going on now, I've been saying for a while that most of the exciting stuff that's going on is not going on in the vector space. It's going in on in the raster world somewhere. And, you know, I think we've solved or answered. Most of the things we do with vectors we've been doing for a while, we do them better, we do them faster, but they're not, you know, we do them with more data, you know, and we're doing them with enormous yeah. amounts of data, but we're not doing, you know, Vector geography hasn't suddenly gone through a transformation, in my opinion. <laughs> um, whereas I think raster geography really seems to be so exciting at the moment. So what are the things going on in the on the technology side that are exciting you at the moment? Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's just so many things that are happening at the moment. It, it really is an exciting time to be part of the whole Earth observation sector. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I think we've been asking for more data, better compute and better tools for 20 or 30 years. And now we've got all three of those things that have arrived at the same time and we're, we're <laughs> looking at each other going, um, what do we do now that we've got what we've asked for? But yeah, <laughs> just to give you an idea of some of the things, I mean, just in terms of launches. So in the past, we've always really been beholden to large government agencies or large uh, commercial entities putting up satellites. Well, now we've got these things called small sats, and you can get multiple small sats into a, a single launch vehicle. It doesn't cost a massive amount of money to develop I mean, relative to uh, the larger satellite platforms. It doesn't cost a large amount of money to develop these small sats. And so you're getting new companies creating small satellites and constellations of small satellites and finding new sensors to put on them, new different ways of getting the data or merging the data and all sorts of things like that. And hopefully, uh, ultimately, they'll find new ways of disseminating the data and making it easier to get. So just on the launch side, there's a massive amount of upswell in terms of the number of things happening. I've sort of alluded to it, but yeah, the number of startups that are in the sector at the moment is just gone absolutely through the roof compared to where it was, say, 10 years ago. Seems to be a real enthusiasm and appetite for using data from space. And so there's a lot of startups, again, who are being able to take advantage of the relatively cheap cloud computing that's around. The fact that there's massive open data sets from Landsat and, and Sentinel, which is so that's a, a US and a, a European satellite sensors. And, and they are able to take the large amount of data, open source tools, relatively cheap computing, and they're doing things that just people weren't thinking about 
10 years ago. What else is there? So governments themselves are really beginning to engage with Earth observation data and the products that come out of that, which is brilliant. So again, they might have been leading in the past in terms of funding things and creating things. But now there's a lot of talk about just trying to get as much information out of raster data as possible and out of data from space. And and, and so I think governments have really, they, they've seen the power of um, some of the Earth observation imagery that can, they can have access to. But at the same time, they can see that they don't need to be in control of it, that they can actually create these little sort of ecosystems where they're engaging with some of the startups and the large corporates as well. And just creating a real excitement within the sort of, I guess, the wider space community, but the Earth observation community in a more narrow sense as well. So that that's really cool. And I'm guessing that um, with satellites orbiting the planet in a few hours or in a day or whatever, you've got colossal amounts of change information that is coming through. Yeah. So the the company that most people will think of when they're talking about sort of change will be Planet or, or Planet Lab. And Planet have this constellation, which is in a, again, these are small satellites, and it allows them to create, sorry, to capture imagery every day over a given point. And so, I mean, that is a massively powerful data set to be able to have. And I've, I've used some planet data in the past, and it is absolutely amazing in terms of the fact that even over the UK, where it's cloudy for so many days of the year, you get this really rich time series of information. from, And then from that, you can start to generate all sorts of different information in terms of change and, and, and what have you. And I think the thing I like about Planet as well, without wanting to sort of be their their fanboy here, but the thing I like about them is that they're constantly trying to improve on the services that they give. So at a, a recent conference that they gave, they announced something called Planet Fusion, which looks like a really interesting potential product. And I, I think it's still in beta, so I'm not sure how sort of commercially available it is at the moment. But it seems to be taking their daily data and then filling in any gaps with other data so that you have this unbroken time series over a given area, which is one of those things where if you'd told me 15 years ago this was going to happen, I, I wouldn't have believed you. And so I, I'm really looking forward to what will be happening in 15 years time that I can't sort of imagine at the moment, because I bet there are people out there now who are thinking something. With the time series? Yeah. Oh, there's loads of things you could do. So one of them could be uh, you could start to look at, say, drawdown uh, in reservoirs. So you could start to uh, monitor how full reservoirs were on a daily basis. Um, another thing you could do, start to look at, say, change in terms of greening. So say you were looking at a woodland, you could look at daily change in terms of the... the color of that woodland and then you'd be able to work out at what time in spring it greens up or what time in autumn it senesces and then that in itself could then tell you whether or not the timing of the seasons is changing and then from there you can start to make inferences if you talk to ecologists about how things might be impacting different species within that woodland so yeah there's all sorts of different things you could sort of look at 
Yes, and I, I think uh, for those of us who aren't sort of immersed in this, what came out of that for me is, is the amount of detail and intelligence that you can extract from these satellite images. You know, we tend to think, we tend to think of Google Earth or something like that and sort of pretty pictures, but we don't actually see it as a source of intelligence and the ability to actually yeah. impact real life situations, which brings me to another question, I guess, which is you're working with this stuff all the time. Can you share some use cases, some stories of stuff you've seen recently that's got you excited and that might help explain to some of our more vector focused listeners why this is the space to be looking at? Yeah, certainly. Uh, just before I do that, maybe another thing I just want to pick up on is what you were talking about in terms of that you can pull out so much information and that there's this richness of information. And I think one of the things that um, people in, in, in this sector have a real hard time with is understanding that clients generally don't care about the data that we collect. It's the information that they want. And so really, we need to get, as a sector, we need to move from dealing with these amazing images. And that that's the problem is nearly everybody who comes into this sector wants to be here because the imagery is amazing to look at. But we need to get rid of that and just supply the answer to, to the clients. And that's a lot less exciting somehow. <laughs> but that's the thing that will keep everything going because mm. that will be the thing that people want to pay for. Yeah, in terms of some, some projects... There's one that I want to, I think one that I would quite like to mention would be something that I worked on earlier this year, and it's about data standards. So initially you might think that's not so exciting, <laughs> um, but the thing about it was that I was trying to work out some data standards to do with Earth observation imagery and data for something called the GOLDN project. And LDN stands for Land Degradation Neutrality. And this is being led in part by GEO, which is the Group on Earth Observations, and also UNCCD, which is a UN body that is charged with looking at sort of desertification and sort of changes in land cover and that sort of thing. And the project itself meant that I was able to start talking to people around the world about what they actually needed from the data and also to talk to global data providers about how they would really want their data sets to be used, their raster data sets, their imagery data sets to be used. And it's not just the raw uh, imagery that we're talking about. We're talking about sort of, t again, time series products or maybe an, uh, some form of index that tells you about the uh, vigor of growth of a, a of vegetation, something like that. And I think with having done so many projects that were either UK based or very narrow in terms of their geographic extent for, for quite some time. Again, this is one of those points in, that really resonated with me. And it got me excited for Earth observation again, to be able to see that there are so many people around the world using Earth observation day in, day out, just in their jobs, and they might not be, they might not be that excited by Earth observation data or the the products that are generated from it. They might just be using it to generate the statistics that they need in order to feed that into whichever policymaker in their government needs those numbers. But it it really made me 
realize that all of these cool technical things that are happening have a real sort of yeah. people impact somewhere down the line. That that project definitely, again, like I say, it was one of those things that sort of really resonated. And I am always struck by the example of the sort of using earth observation to identify where to spray fertilizers or um, pest control in sort of yeah. large farming, you know, and, uh, you know, those of us who work anywhere near this space have known about that for a decade or more. But to most people, it's still beyond belief that you could actually accurately spray fertilizers and pest control and not just blanket cover the whole field. And those things, you know, they are really changing. So go on, give me another example, something that made a big difference. Whilst we're talking of agriculture, actually, I'd, I'd... There was a film I saw, it was a French film, I think it was called Faces Places, and it was about two artists who were travelling around France doing different art projects, and, and it was a really nice film, I recommend people go and watch it. But one guy they spoke to was a farmer, and that, he was quite interesting, in that apparently sort of 10 to 20 years ago, on his farm, he'd employed four or five people, and they'd all had different bits of machinery. And then he had... Uh, had gone out and he'd invested in all this new machinery. And they showed him in one of his vehicles, I don't know what it was doing, but it had all these satellite images on screens in, in his cab. And he was saying how, unfortunately, from a people perspective, he no longer employs anyone. It's just him on his farm. But he's now farming something like three times the amount of uh, land that he was before. And it's all because the machines that he used just automatically attach to these services that are run by satellite data and, and raster data and things like that. So I, th I thought that was really yeah. interesting in that that's not even that wasn't even a film about Earth observation. It's just and yet it's just there in there. So I thought that was quite cool. Sorry, in terms of other stuff that I've done. So there was quite a nice project that was looking at bracken control in the UK with a company called TerraDrone. And this was really good fun, actually. So I don't use massive amounts of drone imagery, but TerraDrone, as the name suggests, it collects drone imagery. And so their client had been trying to work out which method uh, of about five or six different methods that they'd tried was most useful at controlling bracken growth in, in various parts of the UK. And so the problem with drone imagery, obviously, is that you need to send someone out and go and collect it, which isn't a problem if you like going out all the time. But one of the things that I was being asked to do was not only uh, process up the drone imagery, but also have a look at whether uh, some satellite imagery from a sensor called Sentinel-2 was able to provide any information. Now, the drone imagery was being captured, I think, at 1.5 centimetres spatial resolution. So it was really detailed. It was, I mean, looking at the imagery, it was as if you were there. And Sentinel, the, the data I was using was at, at 10 metres. So there's obviously a, a massive difference in terms of just the spatial resolution. And then there's also slight differences in terms of the spectral characteristics of the sensors as well. So it was really interesting having a project like that where you're trying to find methods that can apply to both types of data and then also to see that the signal in the sentinel data that 10 meter resolution was just as clear as it was in the the drone data wow. now 
obviously, as a as a, a proponent of satellite remote sensing, I would be like, hooray, that's great. We can use the satellite stuff. But I don't want to take away from anyone doing anything with drones because the power of, of the imagery that's coming from drones is amazing. And to be honest, not only is it really great data that, that gets collected, but the the message that drone data is able to to send out to just normal members of the public is just massive. I mean, people get what they're looking at when they look at a drone image, whereas if you show them a satellite image with maybe a a 200 meter pixel size or something like that, they're, they're not quite as excited usually. No. So. <laughs> no. so let's move on to Rasta's Reveal. And let me introduce it by saying Rasta's Revealed is an event that you're running in January. So yep. tell us about Rasta's Revealed and also tell us why you think some of the GeoMob audience ought to come along to Rasta's Revealed this next year. Okay, yeah. So in 2017, I put on a an event called Rasta's Revealed in a college in Oxford. And the idea for that was basically just to get people from different disciplines who use raster data. And it didn't have to be satellite imagery. It, it just had to be sort of gridded spatial data of any sort to come and talk to each other. Because at the time I was thinking, well, this is great. I, I use satellite data and every now and again I might use a, a elevation model. But other than that, I've no idea what software other people are using or what data sets they're using. So I just put on this relatively small, I think it was about 100 people or something came along, event to get people talking. And it was really good fun. At least I thought it was really good fun. So I've been toying around with uh, whether or not to do another one. And obviously with 2020 happening and not being able to put on events or go anywhere in, in person, I've sort of missed the boat on that. So I thought, well, you know what, let's uh, try and get Rasters Revealed up and running for 2021. Uh, so yes, on 15th of January, I'm going to to put together a virtual version of what I did in person back in 2017. So I'm trying to basically find people who are working in things like ecology or hydrology, epidemiology, topography, climate and meteorology, whatever it is, if you're using spatially gridded data, raster data, or you write software for it, or you've got massive servers that are processing huge amounts of it, if you think people would be interested in finding out what it is that you do, or you would be interested in finding out what other people do, then yeah, I seriously think that this would be the event for you. Recommend you check out rastersrevealed.net to find out how you can either submit a, a talk proposal, a presentation proposal, or once I open registrations, how you can register. And that link will be in the show notes for anybody who didn't get it, rastersrevealed.net. So what kind of format have you got for the day? So, yeah, so this has been interesting because obviously everybody has been going to uh, a large number of uh, online uh, events and meetings. Yes, <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but I also wanted to take on board some of the sort of lessons learnt from Phosphagy UK as well, because we got some really good feedback from that about what worked well and what could have been done a little bit differently. And so I want to try and have a sort of vibrant in-venue feel. I'm going to use a chat environment. So I've seen 
online people have been starting to use Slack as a sort of way of doing that. I'm thinking at the moment of using Discord and I've seen various different YouTube channels where people are explaining how they've used both Slack or Discord or something similar as a way of doing this. So the idea would be is basically people would come into that, that would be their venue and there would be different ways of interacting and uh, I will be sort of putting out information about how that might work uh, over the next few weeks through rastersrevealed.net. But then we'll be using video meeting software uh, as the sort of conference room. So I, I, I try what I want to try and do is get that social element to happen, the interaction, but for it to be a little bit like a normal in-person event where you'd have to move somewhere else to then go and do uh, to, to hear the talks. Um, right. But everything everything will be linked within the, the software. So it's not as if everyone's going to be going off in different places. But yeah, I, I just want to try and get community feeling, I, I guess. I mean, that sounds great. And I think uh, we need to keep trying different approaches to virtual events, because I think everyone's experience is that doing presentations online is easy. We all know how to do that. There's loads <laughs> yeah. of tech to do that. But recreating the networking and the social side is much more challenging. And we just have to keep going at it until we find the things that work. And yeah. funnily enough, I was talking to somebody earlier this afternoon who's who had been attending an online event. And he was moaning about the fact that the networking just didn't work, you know. And um, I think if you can crack that, you know, it will make the whole day more fun for everybody. And actually, you know, when I go to events, I find myself sitting in the coffee area, drinking coffee and chatting to people and missing half the sessions because I'm more interested in talking to people than listening to yeah. um, to other speakers. And you can't yet do that online. So I hope it works really well for you. When do you start well, one, to sign yeah. up? Um, so the sign up will be... So at the moment, people can submit an idea for a presentation. And I really need people sort of working with Raster Data to submit ideas for posters, because I'm hoping to have a virtual poster pa panel, mm -hmm. ideas for talks and ideas for demos. I'm also hoping to have a careers section and panel session. So, you know, all of those things, if you're interested, do that. Uh, in terms of registration, that'll be the next couple of weeks, probably. And they'll find that, again, linked from rastersrevealed.net. Yep. So rastersrevealed.net, and then I broadcast everything out on my Twitter account as well, which is at AJG Jogger, which is as I spelt it earlier. Right. And we'll put that <laughs> in the show notes as well. Brilliant. Um, thanks. So it sounds like it's going to be a great event. One, it's going to—it's interesting because you're trying a slightly different format, and uh, I think everyone wants to see some new ideas in terms of online events. But two, because the content of the applications are so different to a lot of the stuff that we normally see in the sort of traditional GI space. So, um, yeah, I hope it goes really well. Thank you. OSGO UK are supporting you, sponsoring you in some way, I think. Yes, yes, OSGO UK supporting me through the use of their uh, Zoom account. And yeah. basically, if I ask you nicely, as much as <laughs> as much support as possible, I think. Yeah, I think there are loads of people who will jump in to help you if you just reach out for it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I want there to be a really sort of vibrant feel to the whole day. So the plans in my head are, are sort of spiraling out of control. Yeah. So if you're interested, please just 
come along to rustersrevealed.net and check it out and see whether or not um, you want to sign up. I just want to remind you, Alistair, that um, you and I somehow took a very large part of the load for Fosters in the UK. <laughs> I'm not saying that all the others didn't pull their weight or anything like that, but you and I had a little bit more bandwidth and we stepped up and we did a lot of that stuff. And when we finished it, I think we both had a conversation where we said we won't be doing this again for a couple of years. And just <laughs> over six months later, you're back in the game. I really admire you for that. <laughs> so look, we've been going for 35 minutes, so I think it's probably a good point to to wrap it up. Brilliant. Well, you've told people how to get in touch with you. They can either find your company on Jogger, G-E-O-G-E-R dot co dot UK, or yep. they can find you on Twitter at A-J-G Jogger, yep. or they can find you by looking at the show notes. But just before you go, you must have the opportunity to promote another podcast. So you've got your own podcast. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of uh, 2017, I think it was, Andrew Cutts and myself did a, a demo episode of the Scene From Above podcast. And then in 2018, we, we went for it. And every three weeks or so, we've been putting out an episode that's about some of the cool stuff that's happening in Earth observation at the moment. And we tend to do a mix of uh, interviews and then just the two of us having a, a, a discussion about a topic. Every episode has some news in it about different things that are happening. And so, yeah, if you're interested in Earth observation, then please check it out. So you can either on Twitter look at hashtag seen from above or one word or at EO scene from is the uh, Twitter handle or seen from org is the web address to go and, and find all the episodes. But yeah, and it's it's really good fun, as you, as you know, I'm sure, from I'm doing sure. this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's great fun. I've listened to a few of them. They're fascinating. And they really opened my eyes to the incredible range of things that can be done with Earth observation and, and the technology that's available now. Alistair, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much. I hope that Rasters Revealed is a stunning success. I've certainly got the date in my diary and I think I've already tacitly offered, despite saying I wasn't doing <laughs> another one, I think I'll probably be there offering to give you a little bit of help on the day. So gotcha. <laughs> thanks very much indeed and see you soon. Take care. Bye. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Stephen. Bye. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMR podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.